This is Sheldon Primus, the host of the Safety Consultant Podcast. During this time, we've all been tightening our belts because of COVID-19. I have been as well. Recently, I've found cost-effective alternative to some of the services and programs that I was using, such as email marketing, hosting services, and even one of my favorites, Teachable. Visit SheldonPrimus.com backslash resources for special offers to help you reduce your business overhead. If you're hosting a podcast or want to host a podcast, then visit SheldonPrimus.com backslash hosting for a knockout deal. Don't give up on your dream. Get smarter on the back end of your business. This episode is powered by Safety FM. Welcome to the Safety Consultant Podcast. I'm your host, Sheldon Primus. This is the podcast where I show you how to do the actual business behind being a safety consultant. So this week I got an opportunity to talk to Mr. Jez Groom. Uh, He's in the UK and he is a behavioral scientist in a group of behavioral scientists. And they've done all kinds of really cool work. Uh, We talk about some of the things that they use with different clients as in, you know, painting the walls pink uh, so that they could change hand washing behaviors or... Uh, I think the the wall painting pink was for unsafe behaviors in a construction site, but they also addressed other things like baby faces they would put there in a certain area, just paint murals of baby faces, and the outcome of that was to reduce crime. So it's truly amazing the things that they were uh, doing and still doing with Cowrie Consulting. And they are in the UK, but they're going to branch out into a few other markets. So this is awesome to have him do this podcast with me. So we talked about behavioral-based science and and practical techniques you could use. And uh, we even talked about his upcoming book, Ripple. And um, actually, I believe it's out now, Ripple. And that's basically the effect of small behavioral changes in business. So if you get a chance, you're going to have to look up Ripple. But it was truly fun. I think you guys are going to have a good time listening to me and Jez and uh, talking. I was up really, really early for this one because of the time zone difference. So uh, hopefully you could tell that I I was <laughs> waking up. I, I feel I was waking up in this one. And he kind of like pulled, pulled the interview out of me, you know, because it's been really cool. Because listening to him, I'm thinking, oh, man. I know this stuff with BBS, and uh, and it's been awesome. Uh, good, good conversation. You guys are gonna have a good time. So, uh, with just a word from our sponsor, uh, then we will go ahead in our interview with Jez Groom. Do you want to be a safety consultant? Listen to Dr. Jay Allen of Safety FM give his experience after taking the Safety Consultant Blueprint course. I have actually done research on different consultants and looked at different consulting courses and so on. There is a pretty fancy, very expensive consulting course that is out there. I have actually purchased the consulting course, was interested in it. It has good information. Don't get me wrong. 
But you have a consulting course that really drives people onto focusing on safety and how to become a safety consultant. I will tell you on your particular course, there was better information in that particular regards than the other consulting course that was more of a generalist form. But I figured I felt like I got more information out of yours on you giving people direct path on what to do step by step. But I really think that you have a genuine good product there that can really assist people if they're interested in becoming a safety consultant. Register for the Safety Consultant Blueprint at www.safetyconsultantblueprint.com. Enter code PODCAST for a special discount. So hi Sheldon. So um, my name is Jess Groom. I'm the founder of Cari Consulting, um, and we're a behavioural science consultancy. Um, we're five years old, um, and we're based in London. But our work, um, I suppose, travels around the world. So we work um, with some of the biggest brands and, and businesses in the world. So people like Amazon or Amazon, I think, is um, more <laughs> referred to over, over the, your side, and um, but also um, some big retailers like Tesco, Walmart, um, and um, and then a lot of financial services companies. Um, and then um, we also do work in kind of more physical space. So um, specifically, what I'd like to, to share with, with you and the listeners today is kind of some work we've done in with more safety environments um, and um, and how we sort of reduce unsafe behaviour on construction sites, uh, utilising behavioural science principles. Um, and we're really, really keen to kind of grow to grow this area. Um, and um, for sure, we do work on sort of websites and apps and, and employee culture change um, and, and those sort of internal programmes. But, but this is the sort of work that really captures sort of people's imagination. Um, and um, so that's kind of like the, the business. Um, and um, like I said, we, we work in, in the States, London, but also... Like Germany, Spain, uh, France, Spain, um, Italy, um, etc. Um, and um, and then previously in my career, you know, I've been doing this stuff um, in sort of Mexico, um, South Africa, Central Sub-Saharan Africa, um, and Asia, um, and over in Australia and, and New Zealand. And um, you know, the, the broad the broad thinking is taking, um, I suppose, what was popularised as nudge theory, but really sort of forty years worth of academic sort of science um, and then translating that into kind of a, a usable system or a usable asset, a usable set of design principles to, to I suppose, create better better experiences for employees and also um, the people. Excellent. Uh, for, uh, for what you were thinking, saying about the behavioral-based side, uh, originally my understanding was you're not only going through the process of uh, analyzing behaviors, but then you're creating a, a system or even uh, out-of-the-box products that you are going to now use that's going to help get into behavioral mastery with the safe behaviors. Is that, uh, am I understanding yeah. that correctly? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly right. I mean, I think um, so. So some of the listeners might be familiar with with yeah this popular nudge theory, um, and then a lot of the, the guys and guys and girls would be you know social sciences, um, life sciences, and, and also um, psychology um, based. Um, and um, yeah, essentially, it's taking those but adding. I think this kind of extra layer of kind of like more creative behavioural design to kind of redesign an experience. So. What um, I suppose what we tend to do is kind of 
follow, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't particularly like it. I don't know about you, Sheldon. I don't like these complicated esoteric processes mm-hmm. um, that, you know, seem, you know, because the world's too complex and that, you know, it's just, just too strange sometimes. Yeah. And so we follow a, sim- a simple sort of scientific method, which is go and observe the environment, the domain in which we're going to be operating in, you know, and really understand it. So that might be primary research, secondary sort of research and literature that exists. Go and experience it for yourself. Um, and the combination of those sort of things and really trying to sort of dig deep um, um, and get get your hands dirty and try and understand sort of what's what's going wrong um, and then and then start to get to the creative process and that usually involves uh, messiness um, um, quite a lot of um, diversity in terms of skill sets and understanding um, to create um, I suppose behaviourally designed concepts that have got a good chance um, or a potential chance of, of starting to change behaviour for the better and then I suppose that's all theoretical um, but generally with good expertise and intuition but I think that's when the fun really starts is you then go through to an intervention stage where you really sort of stress test in the real world in, a, in as much of a controlled environment as you can to see whether um, the, the designs actually work um, and that can sometimes be challenging and um, you know I think uh, for the listeners I, I think when I was sort of listening to the podcast I said I thought actually you know I'll get in contact with Sheldon because I think we've been doing some interesting work in London uh, around construction um, and um, it was specific around unsafe behaviours um, when working at height um, and unsafe behaviours uh, when you're moving materials around um, a construction site. So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of like our process mm-hmm. and that's kind of, I suppose, the piece of work we've done. So I don't know if you've got so any more questions or anything else yeah, that would be, be useful for the listeners. So from listening to, uh, to what you're saying, it screams to me that not only do you have a team but then you have a team that could be made up of specialists that know what they're looking for uh, in certain industries. So that means that they may have had experience prior to being in your team. And then it's also screaming to me that uh, through your analysis of actually looking at behaviors, you're probably going to be interviewing these uh, these individuals that that you're witnessing and that means that you're going to have either some psychologists on there, some SMEs, or maybe even uh, a group that, that a, a think tank, if you will, that could say, all right, these behaviors equals these types of uh, activities that the workers are doing. And the reason why they're not doing this is because of, you know, something as simple as, you know, this worker isn't wearing his glasses because it's hot <laughs> and it's steamy and now yeah, his glasses yeah, yeah. are fogging up. <laughs> Because I've been there, I've yeah. seen that. So is that uh, is that yeah. some of the stuff that your 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 team? Because it really screams, you can't do this without a, a fairly good sized team or an incredible yeah. system. Yeah, uh, I, I think um, I'm a I'm a firm believer in in diversification to solve sort of complex problems. Um, and um, yeah, I think um, yeah, and that's you know diversity of backgrounds um, and experiences mm-hmm. and also skill sets. Yeah. And um, so yeah, so um, so yeah, so the specific example that we did this work on, and it's it's fascinating. So um, and it is exactly as you say that this combination. So um, we were approached. Um, had a I had a connection in a business which is a big uh, construction group in the UK is Morgan Sindel. Um, Morgan Sindel, one of their subsidiaries, is um, a fit-out business. So you're not, not the kind of like the, the hard construction. They often, once that's been built, 
they'll go into to this kind of shell of a building and then create all, all the soft furnishings. And, you know, these contracts that they do, they work for like Google or the BBC mm-hmm. and they can be like multi-million, like 50, 60, 70 million pound wow. sort of pieces of work. And um, so, so they're not small. So, you know, and the business isn't small um, and they're amazing. They're one of the best in the business. And they approached us and said, look, our, our behavioral safety record is one of the best in the industry, but we really want to take it to this pioneering stage. And, you know, we've got kind of, as you said, kind of like a lot of the hygiene factors um, and, and in terms of the incidents on site, they're relatively, you know, that the high, that's a high level incidents, they're just very, very infrequent, if not at all. Yeah. And what they wanted to focus off was essentially those very, very small uh, behaviours that sometimes, um, if two or three happen at one time, it can create um, an incident. Uh, I'm, I'm sure your listeners will be, fa- be familiar with RIDORS. So essentially, it's kind of the, the record of these these recorded incidents. Yeah. Um, so if someone fall, falls off a platform, they might break the wrist or they might take a bad cut. Yeah. Um, and that has to get, be recorded, be recorded. Um, and um, so, so yeah, so whilst it's in my like, small thing, these are actually quite huge because obviously when Morgan Sindel is maybe pitching within a construction group, it might say Castain, they have to essentially go to the to the the tender and say, look, this is our Ridor record. So yeah. imagine this: you've got these two companies, you know, both the same, good high quality, good competitive price, mm-hmm. good track record, and then one's got ten Ridors and one's got no Ridors. Clearly, you're going to go for the one that's got zero Ridors because that's the the, the relative factor which is important. Yeah, it's the only thing that can put two apart. So you might lose a fifty million pound contract on essentially, you know, three broken wrists, you know, um, and um, so so that's kind of where we were at. So. So the challenge was, how can we uh, essentially get people, I'll talk about working at height. Mm-hmm. So we, we essentially identified these seven seven deadly sins of, of working at height. Um, and these were like when you've got a construction platform, um, so, you know, a scaffolding platform with wheels and, and a gate and a, a ladder. Um, and essentially, the, the, some of the behaviours seem quite, um, I suppose, quite small. So it might be that if you're going up and down this platform like 80 times a day, which might be removing panels from the roof, or it might be actually putting um, air conditioning or, or electricals into the, into the roof you might be going up a lot of times um, and, and actually to, to do it quicker um, some of the workers would cut corners and what they wouldn't do is they wouldn't lock the wheels because right. you have to lock the wheels four times he says that's 320 wheel locking exercises every day and actually if you don't do that then that might be more lights that you can fit and you can essentially achieve the job quicker um, mm. and um, another one might be just not locking the gate so you go up to the top and you don't lock the gate at, at the bottom of the top yeah because you don't um, have to take the time to unlock it and then it's really Exactly. That little fraction of a yeah. second in their mind is really saving them that time. Exactly. So, so it's all about essentially these kind of small factors that, yeah, in isolation, you know, often they don't make a difference. But if it happened all the time and a lot of happened at the same time, then you're, you're in, for a, in for a problem. So, you know, you can imagine a situation where they might overstretch. So sometimes they might not build construction panel to the right height. Um, so they might essentially get a box or they might stand on some of the um, the top of the scaffolding or to just overstretch. <laughs> Oh, exactly. You know, and and the, these are the sort of things that seem so innocuous, um, and um, but can cause you know that fall um, and that record record an incident. And um, so, so what we did was started to try and understand why this was happening. And there was a variety of factors. Um, and, and some of them, you know, if not all of them, were very, very human and behavioural. So the first one is that um, our brains sometimes play play tricks on us. Um, and imagine if you've cut these corners, you know, and you've been doing it for 20 years and you've never had an incident. Yeah. Then your brain convinces yourself that it's safe. Yep. It basically says, look, you, you know, and it's just that one time that you haven't done the check. Or it might be quite interestingly, like, as you get older, like your core strength, you know, we know that core strength yeah, um, as decades grow up. 
go on. Yeah, essentially, because, you know, essentially, you remember what it feels like, but actually your body might not be able to behave like it did when it was 20. So you might overstretch mm-hmm. um, when you're 50, yeah, remembering something that you did in your 20s and your 30s, you know? And you're like, yeah, that's that's not... Exactly, exactly. And then and then the other one is, um, so you've got this habit and, and essentially this, I suppose, uh, this consistency that you've always been able to, to do what you've always been able to do. And then the other one is kind of like often the working environment will have 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds. Um, and that kind of normalises some of these behaviours. So sometimes the 20-year-olds will see the 50-year-olds doing it and going, well, they've been doing it for 30 years, they must know what they're doing, they're okay. Um, and then the 50-year-olds, because they're doing it and, you know, if the 20-year-olds, um, they can see the 20-year-olds see them, that may, might even feel feel good you know mm-hmm. to say actually yeah this is what i've been doing and it's never been a problem so essentially you've got this normal normalization uh, behavior so you've got habitual behavior and, and normalization of behavior that's and a culture when you get crowds of- then you, you switch yeah, over exactly. to this is now the culture of our organization and therefore those little things become normalized like you're saying and now it's not a one-off event it is actually the culture of the organization at that point yeah, and, and these are kind of implicit implicit levels of the culture. So these aren't, you know, expressed by anybody. They're just kind of happening at a subconscious at a subconscious level. Um, and then the other one is, um, which, you know, tends to be more prevalent within guys. But, you know, guys are guys. And then when you get lots of guys together, um, then there's quite a lot of camaraderie, you know, very collegiate. But there's also kind of sometimes a little bit of overconfidence uh, and sometimes sort of hubris that, 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 that comes with it. And um, and testosterone, you know, is... is plays a key factor we know that testosterone as a hormone when levels are high it presents us with a high appetite for risk yes. and that's really really important that you know in times of stress and anxiety where we do have to fight or flight you know these sorts of hormones are really really important that allow us to thrive and survive um, but actually um, you know that, that sort of feeling like you know with a group of guys doing doing these types of jobs which are quite manual can sometimes I suppose create um, a susceptible uh, sort of level high level of risk just because our hormone levels are high and this has been evidenced in, in lots of different sort of working environments where testosterone levels have been sort of taken and then people have looked at what their appetite for risk was. Yeah. So, so we had a look at this. That was, so that was kind of like bringing together I think the, the psychology through observational work and, and conversations and there was something really, this is something we liked. This wasn't, just to be clarified, this wasn't on site at, at Morgan Sindel. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, were, we were chatting with some interviews with some of the guys um, and, um, and and they were saying that what is interesting is when health and safety people often come around, um, there's often some some kind of code or, or, or language that's used to essentially switch people from that culture of cutting corners to essentially doing everything right while they're being watched. Yeah, someone will go on the radio, hey, does anyone have a left-handed screwdriver? And that's code for, you know, here. Yeah. Exactly. So, so in this instance, it was Kilimanjaro. So essentially, it was like Kilimanjaro, <laughs> and, um, and essentially, that's that was the signal. And, um, and and it's just you know health and safety walking around going, God, this is a really good culture. And actually, there's just this signal that's that's flying around. Yeah. And um, so, so we kind of kind of aware of that. So, so and often that's kind of like because health and safety generally are going to come with a, a penal compliance system. You know, essentially, it's going to be looking for things that aren't being done well and penalise people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we know that that fear-based sort of anxiety-inducing strategies um, can change behavior, but it's less likely to work in a, in a sustained and embedded way. Well, people get so, drawn so, to that so because it's actually easier for them to go ahead and do the punishment and punitive versus truly understanding a behavior and finding out, all right, what was this trigger that created this thought, that created this behavior? And that becomes harder to do, so they go to the punitive. 
Absolutely, uh, absolutely, and ex- exactly right. And and so so we thought through that, and that's when you know we talked earlier about diversification of, of skill sets. Is um, we essentially brought together kind of these insights, um, and um, we brought together a lot of different stake- stakeholders. So we brought together um, it may well be the health and safety teams, the subcontractors, psychologists, behavioural designers, um, subject matter experts, um, all, all together, and then essentially brought them into the world of behavioural science to say that actually let's try and understand what drives people to do the things that they do so we talked about normalization and seeing other people doing it social norm we talked about habit and about how people can unconsciously do the same thing they've done for a long time yeah it sort of brought everyone to a really good level of understanding for a good sort of three three hour session and then in the afternoon we then started to introduce a number of different concepts which potentially could start to change behavior and then bringing together kind of everyone's expertise in the room to go well that wouldn't work because and you go well how could it work so very much we call them participatory design labs so essentially bringing everyone together in a co-creative environment into a kind of a more of a i suppose an innovation type uh, experience but designing things um with all of their different different expertise and we came out with um a number of a number of different sort of interventions and there was three that we actually went to experiment um, and, and it worked successfully the first one was um the kind of flip flipping the employee and the employer relationship so uh, essentially was to say uh, if, if we can um, get somebody a subcontractor to actually behave as if they were a health and safety executive for a morning then they would see it through through a different lens and often kind of like the lens through you're looking through can, can change behavior yeah. but critically get those people people to then interact with people that were doing and exhibiting poor behaviours. So we gave them essentially a script and a narrative that if they saw someone exhibiting maybe not locking the wheels, then they would go over to that person, um, which might be a colleague or another subcontractor doing a slightly different job, and sort of say to them, so I, I observe you doing this, um, so why were you doing that? And do you know what, what the correct behaviour is? And do you know why we have that behaviour? And are you going to go and do that in the future? Um, and, and getting sort of confirmation all the way through and commitment that, yeah, I was doing the wrong thing and yes I didn't know that and now I do and yes I'm, I'm going to do that mm-hmm. and then, then what happens is that our brains like to be consistent uh, with previous actions because otherwise we'd be schizophrenic yeah. it essentially like to behave in ways which which are our previous selves have behaved in and um, an inconsistency isn't isn't something that, that our brains particularly particularly like so actually the next day you know imagine that situation where you go back onto the floor and you start to behave in an inconsistent way in a way that the day before you've maybe mm-hmm. talked to eight or nine different people about yeah, yeah. So so it shocks it basically yeah. it it pulls you out of your rhythm as, as as i'm hearing it so basically you now put them in a different state so as they're wanting to or i should say the innate person the subconscious wants to be consistent to yourself uh, you have actually broke the pattern absolutely and it's created a new pattern which you you need to be consistent with yourself but also uh, with your other colleagues because otherwise they'd be saying well you've changed your tune yesterday you were saying that it was right to do all these things but I can see you're doing the wrong things and that creates dissonance um, and people don't like to be seen as inconsistent because inconsistency in the personality type means that you're not going to be able to collaborate be part of a group and be trustworthy because people don't necessarily know where you're coming from so so consistency principle and be consistent with previous actions and like you say shocking the system and getting them to, to, to recalibrate through through a different way it was kind of like a personal intervention and, and what we did is we did a little bit of um, um, 
I'd say a little bit of nudging. So um, you got free bacon sandwich. So, so on the days that you did this, you essentially spent half an hour to 45 minutes walking around the floor, um, being a health and safety executive. Um, but you also got a free bacon sandwich for your breakfast, for your time. So there's kind of like kind of like a nice yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. like very, very human, human human reward. So that was kind of like the personal uh, sort of level. Were you able to well, do this? Uh, I know sometimes we say to to create a habit, it takes roughly. What uh, it was two, three weeks or something at 21 days, I believe, yeah. for a habit. So, is this something that you guys are able to see within a short intervention period, or you're looking at this for over a month or two months or something similar to that? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, so we actually did like a 16-week experiment. It was four weeks worth of um, pre-baseline um, measurement and then 12 weeks of intervention. Um, and we did we did two we did two other things, and I'll touch on those. But just on the point of habits. So again, for the listeners, is um, there's quite a lot of um, people like specificity. I, I think they like to go, "What's the answer to this? The answer is that." Um, and it's just not true with habits. So um, there's some meta-analysis done, like an academic literature review of all of the habits forming papers it was done about two years ago and what they identified that the amount of times it takes to create a habit that essentially the, the range is anywhere between 14 times and 265 times hmm. um, and the average the average is actually about 65 so 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 and that's where the bell curve kind of peaks so it does and, um, regardless it of makes, days it's just actual events it's just it's just it's, it's events because if you think about it the world is so complex and some behaviors are easy um to exhibit and, and embed um and, um and others are really really tough so um so things like um i don't know digital things that might be like you know liking things on facebook the effort required and, and the frequency can happen you know instantaneously you yeah. can do 14 likes in a session and all of a sudden you're well, like this is really good and um, whereas you know if you try and drive behavioral safety in a construction site you know it might take longer mm-hmm. because there's a lot of actually contextual factors driving behavior back to the other way you know other people do it you've always done it the the, the environment is set for that um so, so so i think yeah it's kind of you know that that thought around 14 to 20 one times to become a habit I, th- I think is a, a little bit misleading for easy behaviors that i think whether the environment allows you to do that in an easy way i think that may well be the case mm-hmm. but i think for the majority of new behaviors and habit formation yeah it's more like 60 to 200 times before you, you've really embedded it into to kind of muscle memory um and then then um, the second intervention we did um, was we re-engineered um, and you mentioned it before Sheldon the, essentially this penal reward system so often um, there's this kind of like if you do something wrong then something bad happens yeah. So and they had a, a, a yellow card and a red card so if you were observed exhibiting maybe not locking the wheels or not locking the gates or overstretching then essentially you get um, like a yellow card and you're off site for the day it's like look we've seen this Sheldon not very happy with it and you're off site for the day think about your actions come back tomorrow I know I know and, um, and then if you're really bad children essentially it's a red card it's like look you know essentially you were climbing on the outside of the scaffolding platform when it wasn't locked (laughs) and you were over over stretching you know you're not coming back on this site you know you're just too too outrageous with your behavior and and everyone knows then so essentially that's where you get to those signaling systems that we saw before essentially that's the workaround so so we looked at that and we know that actually rewarding people for good behavior is far more motivating than penalizing people for poor behavior so what we did is we said rather rather than just having a yellow and red card why don't we add another card and we added a gold card 
what we did is we essentially gave them a gold card um, which essentially is when they pass their health and safety induction training on site and um, and if that if they'd been working with us as a subcontractor for like 25 years we'd actually backdate that so you know it might be um, health and safety conscious since 1995 Sheldon mm. okay so, so that would be a card it'd be named right and you'd sign it and have a commitment contract on it say I will follow the ABCD checklist which we had and then the brilliant thing was that if you're observed of doing a poor behaviour you wouldn't go straight to a yellow or red you just get your gold card taken away just for the week so if I saw you observing a bad behaviour I'd say Sheldon can have your gold card I'll take your gold card away and then what happens is on a Friday holding um, this thing um, throughout their week yeah 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 yeah, so essentially it would it might be in the locker um, during the day, but essentially it would be taken away. Um, and um, because on a Friday um, at lunchtime, um, we had um, in the canteen, we had like a big glass bowl and everyone put at the end of the Friday, everyone puts their um, their gold cards in and then the site manager essentially picks out one of the gold cards and they just don't, they don't know what they're going to get. Um, so, um, and we know that the brain is, is really, really excited by um, random variable rewards more than essentially predictable rewards. So not knowing what you're going to get um, is really, really exciting. That's why lotteries really, really work. Oh, yeah. so, so we started to cre- create a reward system which wasn't 50 pounds, you know, um, essentially it was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to get. So we actually did it at the same time as the, we call it football, you guys call it soccer, <laughs> the Soccer World Cup. And um, well, the Soccer World Cup. And um, the first prize was a 55-inch UHD wow. 4K TV. So you imagine you've got all these guys sitting that. around and they're like, oh. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and Jeff Gravens, who, who was the first winner, essentially won this 55-inch HDTV. Now, the, the great thing about it um, was that, obviously, everyone's like, oh, my God, all we've got to do is do the right thing and we can win TVs every yeah, week. Absolutely. And then the next week, we, we, we ch- the next week, we changed it. So next week, it, it was kind of like £100 Amazon vouchers or something like that. The next week, it might be, and this is quite a popular prize, it might be free breakfast for everybody in your subcontractor from the canteen. So, like, you're the hero of the week because, oh, essentially, yeah. you won free breakfast for everybody. So we've randomised the, the, the rewards. And, and sometimes um, we know that actually being altruistic with those rewards. So sometimes it might be, you know, um, a, a holiday for a family of four. Um, so, so, so that might be really mo- motivating because essentially you're being able to give that gift to other people within your social network. So yeah. it's not always monetary and it's not always the soulless gift. Sometimes it can be. And then you're like, oh, my God, all I've got to do. But this was the genius of it. Um, was one, this wasn't our idea, by the way. It's somebody in, in one of the subcontractors would say it would be more motivating if everybody in my subcontractor all had to work together. So we actually designed it such that if me and you are working today uh, together, Sheldon, with two of our colleagues, if you did something bad, you lost your gold card, but everybody in our subcontractor lost their gold card too. So, so what that does is it reinforces through loss aversion uh, everyone buddying up and doing the right thing. So, so essentially it's like, come on, guys, we're all got to work together. Let's not make any silly mistakes and these do these unsafe behaviors yeah. because if, if one of us loses the gold card then then we're all not entered into the lottery yeah, so we did that way. Um, I, uh, from what i'm hearing yeah it seems like you take, you've you've taken bf skinner's uh conditioning upper and conditioning uh theory absolutely and then you've you've made it modernized <laughs> in the way that uh yeah. the the workers it's can exactly see that. it and then truly gamified it by adding a reward system that means something to these workers and then randomized it in such a way that they don't know it doesn't become a um, well it might become something that would be an entitlement if not done right but you guys are actually 
adding subcontractors too, which no one really does that I have seen before. Normally it's just my employees and not the subcontractors. And the subcontractors are working with your employees and they're influencing behaviors with your employees. So that's a brilliant move. Yeah, and then and then this is the final thing, and this is the bit that captures people's imagination. And and we tend to, whenever we talk about the case study, it's the bit that people um, generally sort of gravitate to. So I was on BBC Radio Four, and it's kind of where the journalist often sort of goes. But we added like a, a really interesting contextual sort of piece to it, like we designed something um, which was their environment, and uh, and this is it's quite funny. So um, some of the, the listeners might be familiar with um, um, Drunk Tank Pink um, or Baker Miller Pink. Yeah being yeah. used predominantly in America um, and you know it was done essentially in in, in uh, jails um, by Baker and Miller and some of the sort of thing the, um, the jails that they were operated in the sort of this thing was in the 70s and then I think in the 80s I think Iowa State University did this really really clever thing which is they painted the opposition sort of changing rooms for, for US football they painted it in this pink um, and the thinking is that we we anti- we don't know for sure because colour is kind of strange psychologically, but we think that because pink is often associated with more feminine characteristics, um, that actually it has this short-term effect of reducing aggression <laughs> through through kind of reduction in testosterone. So, so this is the crazy bit. So what we did is, you know, those canteens on site are normally just not very nice places to go. So yeah. there's some rusty old chairs and all that, and there might be a coffee making machine or even a small canteen, but it's not great um, because it's on a construction site. So, so, so what we did, we worked in uh, essentially the 28th floor of the biggest construction on the South Bank in London. And, uh, and we redesigned the canteen uh, with kind of psychology in mind. So we put in tables, which were more just nicer tables, more, more round tables. So people could essentially could, could chat and converse. Um, we put plants in there. So we know that uh, access to nature can calm people down. So we literally put plants on this construction nice. site on the 28th but the critical thing is we took a lot of the health and safety messages off the wall which essentially no one reads you know due to cognitive overload that you know they just don't read them because there's just so many of them yeah um we paint we painted the walls uh baker miller pink so so essentially there's kind of like lovely pink pink color in a construction Absolutely. site and, and it, we did it overnight and we did it in there we did it in their relaxation area where they play ping pong and etc um and like the, the initial reaction was total disgust it was like the guy was just like this is excuse my language but he said this is shit yeah. that's what they genuinely said. well that's what the construction workers are going to say they're not going to say yeah, oh, this, yeah. this pleases me oh, beautiful. <laughs> yeah and um, but subcon- subconsciously, you know, essentially it was acting as a, a de-stressor in the times when they really needed it because the last thing they need is to go to a horrible environment where their, their levels of testosterone, whether in this kind of like sitting around with each other, could could essentially be sustained or, or even go higher. And actually, this was sort of calming them down. And, and one of the things that's really interesting, I think, and this goes right back to the beginning of the com- conversation, is it was these three different elements that we put all together so we don't know through the experiment we conducted which of these three was the driving force um it was a kind of a combination mm-hmm. and um but we're okay with that because again again for the listeners is um often kind of like when you're looking at these types of interventions they can often be seen as like big problems so they need a lot of resources and they're high cost solutions whereas actually you know changing the conversation with um essentially health and safety that was happening anyway just wasn't designed in that way particularly well yeah. uh, the reward scheme it was just a flat reward scheme that no one engaged with so that that was redesigned to make that work better and then the canteen was just a few few pots of paint 
you know, a few plants. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't huge. So actually put, putting these three together. And then, then what we then did was um, we did a four-week baseline measurement um, and then we did 12 weeks on site and we had psychologists going up on site um, for different days, different floors um, and different hours of the day to essentially get that variability in the data to make sure that, um, that we were capturing kind of all of the, the different sort of unsafe behaviours. Um, and then we did like a, a, pre, a pre and post. And, and the critical thing was that um, when our um, psychologists were walking around, they didn't have a big uh, bib or a high vis on saying I'm a psychologist looking at behavioural science because yeah. we know that you know, the, the Hawthorne effect and, and knowledge being watched and, and the Kilimanjaro effect that we described. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, um, all they were told was some, there's some well-being experts that are here to prove kind of like the work and experience for us. Um, and little did they know that in their two front pockets of the, the high vis they had clickers. Um, and on the left-hand side, they were looking for unsafe behaviours for um, uh, working at height. And on the right-hand side, it was unsafe behaviour for material movement. Um, and essentially, they were walking around, you know, in, in, in a very sort of passive way. Um, and unbeknownst to people, they were sort of measuring the, these, these poor behaviours. And what we found was there was an, an 82% reduction in those types of unsafe behaviours as a result of those, uh, I suppose, those three interventions over a 12-month uh, test period. Mm. And when we look at the, probabil- the probability factors, like the, the, um, the statistical analysis to look at the variability of the data pre and post, um, there, there was a 1 in 69 chance that that was due to chance so like a, yeah, a piece yeah. the piece probability so so it's a very very ro- robust method the, the challenge that we often get from kind of very hardcore behavioral scientists is you don't really know which of those three interventions worked the best and, and actually it, the pink walls might have been a small part of that and, and we wholeheartedly agree you know our view is that if we could do those three interventions and we can get unsafe behaviors down by 82 yeah, percent i don't really care i don't really care because yeah. <laughs> You know, to do any you, of those factors so, well, unless they really want you to start, you know, one by one taking it out and then watching it for a week or two and then take the next thing and watch it after. Yeah, like, it, just, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's exactly that. And and, and that's an academic view. Uh, and actually, when you're on the business side. So, so, um, so yeah, myself and a co author, um, April Velicott. So, we've written a, um, a book. Um, which is called Ripple, um, and this features in one of the chapters. Um, so, if any of the readers uh, and listeners are interested in reading more about kind of the work that, the work that we do at Cowry, um, yeah, we, brought, uh, we, we we wrote the book Ripple to kind of bring it to life. And and this is just one of the chapters that focus specifically around sort of behavioural and safety. But um, it's fascinating, uh, and you know, the, the team really see these pieces of work as kind of like you know those transformational kind of life changing, um, and you know, they literally are sort of. Um, I suppose maybe not saving lives because because that, that doesn't happen um, uh, so much in certainly well in the environments we were working in, but certainly um, helping people um, have a, a cultural safety uh, level uh, which creates a good experience for them at the company, um, and that, that can only be a good thing. And, um, and yeah, I mean, so so, th- so these three interventions have now been taken on as kind of site safety um, sort of um, standards, so they've been really incorporated. So however big the the um, this construction site is, it might might even be like a mobile sort of unit for their canteen. <laughs> they paint the walls inside pink and put some Excellent. some plants in. They 
they do the reward scheme. So yeah, so it's um, yeah, it's been a fascinating and you know uh, sort of experience. And you know, the next steps for us are you know how do we start to maybe create sort of more, I suppose, bigger and more digital ways that we can do that. And so um, we're talking to, to um, Morgan Sindel about you know rather than having physical gold cards as you mentioned, um, I think it might be having like um, mobile phone scratch cards. Mm-hmm. So actually, we can do it across coordinate every site across the world even yeah, um, could all take part in an, an even bigger lottery so rather than winning a TV it might be winning a Ferrari you know yeah, <laughs> it yeah, could absolutely. be huge because once you, you pull together all of the all of the reward schemes across all of their sites actually there's a lot of workers and a lot of money being spent and actually um, just that, that chance to win something pretty amazing it isn't worth um, not locking the wheels for so, yeah, and so that's, that's I would thing. imagine if there's no way of doing that then you can actually make your your subcontractors be you know your your florida site your london site your paris site and therefore all of you together are working to something great that all three of you in different continents or i should say different countries uh, you can actually yeah. get from the same pool if you're in the same company yeah it's, it's exactly that and you know i think what we found certainly i don't know if you found it but certainly through sort of the pandemic is um you know it's obviously restricted social uh, cohesion in terms of physicality but in terms of digital interactions i think people are more sort of bring bringing each other together more and more so you know i think i've i've definitely benefited from that and um, you know like i said i've got um uh, kurt and tim and roger who, who i've connected with in the states who are great behavioral sort of science sort of experts and michael barton does some great customer experience of prakash um, in india i've got daryl and sonia in australia new zealand with vishal in new, new zealand it's just like and then i've got like nick and david in in africa and it's just like you know um there's a great opportunity I think to share these sort of learnings on, on more of a global a global piece um, because you know they're really simple to execute and can be really valuable. And uh, for my purpose and just in, in my mind, we have something here in the U.S. and I'm sure it's global because you know Sydney Decker over in uh, Australia is thinking this as well, and he he has the whole safety differently mindset. Whereas uh, there's a camp out there that says behavioralists will blame the individual versus looking at the human and organization performance, the hop camp, where they say, well, it was a latent condition that the human activated, so therefore you can't blame the human for activating a condition that was latent in the organization or in the process and procedures. So uh, is there, it sounds to me that you're you're looking at behaviors such as the uh, Dr. Aubrey Daniels BBS system, uh, and it seems like that's your basis, but are you also looking at systems uh, and these systems that will, uh, like let's say someone who is uh, unlocking the wheels or they're not going and closing that gate, is there some reward that's happening that's, allowing them to keep doing that behavior that is some sort of underlying reward as the frontline supervisor praising them for how quickly they get their work done or or something similar to that do you do you seem to catch that where the organization is is leading to these uh unsafe behaviors at-risk behaviors 
Yeah, so um, I mean, I didn't touch too much too much on it, but one of the things that that we did do, as I mentioned, we took all of the health and safety messages off the wall. Which again, we we had one health and safety individual that said they didn't want to work with us. You know, they said we're crazy, and we were like, well, but you've got so many of these things; they just become wallpaper and nobody reads That's them. That's right. Like, so, 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 so one of the things that 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 we did is we know that um, sort of rhyme is reason. So our brains remember things that kind of kind of kind of rhyme. So you know, it's fun click every trip was kind of like do your seatbelt in the UK yeah um, and um, you know we've seen seen lots and lots of these for, for government campaigns so so what we did in terms of the system was try to normalize um, essentially planning and preparing as, at the same time as performing because performance is often seen as the job and all of the other bits around get in the way of doing the job so essentially you say um, why aren't you locking the wheels and you say well I can get to do the job quicker and you kind of go but the wheels is the job uh, and and you go well, why didn't you build the construction thing to the right height and uh, going um well i just needed to get up because we needed to fix the fix these lights quicker and you go but that, that's kind of preparing a, a measurement so what we did is um we had some pictures and posters on the walls that basically normalized planning and preparing and performing mm-hmm. so we had some some of them said at 9 30 82 percent of the workforce is planning ahead for the day um, and that would had a visual of somebody sitting down in the canteen or sitting down on site in a particular sort of area going through kind of like what the plans were yeah. and then and then they say at 11 to 22 um, 67% of our, our workforce are preparing and then that would show someone assembling a construction platform where it might be and then it, you know it, it then said you know in the afternoon the majority of people are, are performing so so when what that meant was it, it normalised planning and preparing mm-hmm. as well as performing so when you when your supervisors were, were walking around rather than saying why are you fixing lights um, and performing you could say well the reason I'm not doing this because I'm planning yeah. um, and the reason why I'm not doing it is I'm preparing so creating a word for the activity validates the activity and then normalizes it so and that is really really important yeah. that unless you've got a vernacular to describe the activity then um, it isn't a thing but as soon as you give it a name it becomes a thing yeah. and it can then become normal and people feel comfortable so that's kind of a subset of the of some of the posters we put into the canteen with the pink walls um, but and a really important one um, and um, I, I don't think if I was hand on heart I don't think that was really embraced as much as we wanted to within yeah. the intervention but 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 that's certainly what you're saying and, and by no means are we experts in behavioral safety systems we're not we were very much approaching it kind of from a through a psychological um, sort of lens yeah, yeah. but what I, do know, what I do know is yeah, and what I do know is um, that, you know, behaviour is generally set by kind of three key factors. It is a kind of a, a simplest form. It's kind of personal factors, so what's going on in, in your own mind, social factors, what's going through into the minds of others and how is that affecting behaviour, and then environmental factors, like what is it in, in the environmental uh, domain and the context that's setting those. And I think that's as much, I mean, that's the kind of some of the filters that we go through to go, you know, um, how much of this is the person, how much of the other people, and how much of it is the system and the process. Yeah. Um, and I think we, we looked at those, some of those things when we went through. It actually seems to me like almost an undertone uh, of a neuro-linguistic programming, uh, NLP. I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it's all the anchoring and, and everything else that you would find in NLP, but it seems like some of the, uh, some of the psychology... Uh, interventions that you have also will have that effect of 
visual cues to anchor workers. Uh, it'll have uh, giving them the language that they could use. That's also, like you just mentioned, that's also going to uh, make everyone think we're in it together and, and develop culture. And it looks like that's the outcome. But it also seems like you're 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 instilling things that that is programming. And I'm not saying it as you're controlling these workers by any means, but it's uh, suggestions that would be kind of similar to the neurolinguistic programming system that some people have used, you know, throughout the years in bad ways. And some people have used it in good ways, but it seems like there is a a vein of that and it's working for you. So I'm not knocking it in any way, but it just seems like like, uh, everything is not just a, a randomized system or just throwing up something so that shows that, you know, the psychology team that's looking behind all of the intervention factors, they're also looking for current and future behaviors to line up. And, uh, and that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, on um, NL NLP, I mean, I think you know, I think we we kind of um, some of those some of those kind of language like anchoring, for example. I think it's been embraced by kind of broader behavioural science and nudge theory, um, and I, I think that's kind of where where that's our starting point. We tend not to focus so much on, uh, on the NLP, although I think some of the NLP, some of it, I think, has been debunked as 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 some of the behavioural science that kind of we're, we're kind of iterating um, as we go. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, I, I would say. You know, if, if the listeners can can really sort of embrace and, and get behind kind of behavioural science and nudge theories um, and how we might do that, and it is a softer softer science. Essentially, you know, we follow an ethical framework. So whenever we're doing experimentation work, we'll um, go through our ethical framework, um, which again is in the book Ripple that we wrote. So so we've got this on our website at Cowry, and then we also do a pre mortem, which is essentially looking at the potential unintended consequences of what could happen. Which I'm, again, I'm sure a lot the listeners uh, do themselves but we're trying to make sure that you're, you're mitigating against some of the, the factors because you are dealing with people's psychology yeah. and, and as you're right children we're not we're not trying to essentially what we're going to do is to say is it a good outcome for people not to fall off these things and break their arms I think everyone's in broad agreement that that is a good outcome that's a bad thing um, and, and you know <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And as long as as long as you, you know you can sit through some form of ethical governance to get to that point to agree that, then you can then start to to, to change their behaviour. Um, and as you said, a lot of these things are we're redecorating a canteen, we're re-engineering a reward scene to make it more motivating, make it more social. Well, re-engineering a conversation to make sure that those people. Uh, are consistent with their future actions, um, and and these are these are all kind of soft interventions that, as you said, mm-hmm. sometimes could get overlooked, um, or often can be you know just thrown thrown at the wall to go. We've got some ideas, but we go through a very very structured process, utilise academic principles, experiment, test in an ethical way to get to get the results that, that we do. And that's actually what we see, and what I see the most whenever I go into a, a client, and I have to. Uh, it depends on the contract, how long we have together. But when I get to a client and I have to see what's working and what's not working, I look at compliance, yes, to make sure that they're compliant with regulators. But uh, if I could go beyond compliance, it's even better for, for the uh, client. So when I go in yeah. there and I see that they have some sort of 
haphazard system for rewarding people. For some parts of it, they're actually rewarding at-risk behavior because they didn't plan it or even know the psychology behind it. And for sure. <laughs> and yeah. I'm seeing this and I'm like, hold on, you guys are doing what? <laughs> and I have to kind of yeah. give them a psychology lesson and then we work together and to you know, unlearn some of these things and then the behavior of the workers will change but it takes time because you condition them to reward them for these behaviors and now you're yeah. you're shocking their system and you're going to get some rebellion from them because of that and uh and truly it's one of those things that uh I, I like how you're saying that is you're you're truly teaching people and showing them you know that it's not just you know give out gift cards every time you have four days or five days without an accident you know <laughs> it's just, yeah that doesn't work <laughs> <laughs> but it, it works for a little bit, doesn't it? You yeah, know, the, yeah. And, and, that's, and that, that's the challenge, I think, which is um, you developing, a, like you said, a system which is, I suppose, drives and embeds and sustains the, the behavior change. Um, and, um, you know, and, and you know, I'm sure that some of the listeners were going, oh, there's a bit of old guff from, from Jez about the pink, pink walls. And, you know, I, if, I, if I was to say, if we did pull them apart, as you were saying, Sheldon, you know, if we had that luxury to go, look, we can do this for like years and test all these different things at different times at the cost of huge expense you know if we did do that I, I really do think that the reward scheme for me is kind of the motivating factor which is just by doing a good thing and us all working together we've got a chance to essentially go on holiday win a TV get some free bacon sandwiches and that makes our lives a little bit better for, for doing the job correctly yeah. that seems to be the motivation and then if on top of that we've got a really nice environment that is pink um, but actually it's better than it was before which was just an awful dirty horrible horrible place and it is a nice nice environment and it does have plants and actually you know i can point to the posters on the walls now if someone says what am i doing not putting the lights up i can say well you know i'm so i'm doing the i'm doing the planning yeah that's what i'm doing or i'm doing the preparing because that's what we do here um then then certainly i think that would help yeah great um can you please tell us how to reach you and uh, if there's a way for my because even though I'm, uh, I'm personally based in the U.S., I do have listenership globally. Uh, so how do we yeah. reach out to you? How do we, you know, definitely, how do we get the book, you know, Ripple, and then also yeah. uh, if we need to add you to our system to see if you could be a value resource for our clients, uh, what, what's the process? Yeah. Yeah, so so um, so yeah, um, was recently uh, wrote Ripple myself in April, so that's available on um, Amazon um, and all good bookstores. And um, Amazon is a client of ours, by the way. And um, but Amazon, um, some people don't like Amazon, so some of my friends um, <laughs> uh, prefer not to buy elsewhere. Barnes and Noble's fine. Uh, and um, so yeah, so, so I'm all um, over Amazon. <laughs> Yeah, there's um, there's a website called um, ripplebook.com, so ripple-book.com, um, which you can find out more um, uh, without buying the book. It's got kind of a lot of uh, background stuff. We couldn't fit it all into the book. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, um, just Jez Groom. And then uh, the business that I was the founder of or I'm the founder of is cowryconsulting.com. So that's C-O-W-R-Y uh, consulting.com. And my email address is on there. So um 
that's certainly that. And then, yeah, if people want to engage, we're always looking uh, for, for new projects um, and um, to, to further new, new learning. And um, yeah, we've got um, you know a really really good team of, of complementary. I think I think one of the things that we find is quite quite a young team, quite a female team, um, and um, always looking to, to complement what, what already exists. Um, and um, yeah, I think if any of the, the listeners want to want to get in touch, then then those would be good channel good channels. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you taking the time out and, and reaching out to me and and I I believe in what you're doing so that's that's truly oh, fantastic. Uh, Thank an, you, an awesome yeah. project that you're doing and it's going to save lives even though uh, in some ways you know, it, it, it's not only gonna you know stop behavior and curb behaviors but these behaviors have consequences and some of them will be you know the ultimate consequence so a child that's going to get yeah. their father or mother coming home uh, at the end of the day is always a project well worth it yeah no, absolutely you know and um, I think that's the you know going back to that final thing about you know um, doing things ethically you know um, we're using psychology and nudging for good you know we're just making the world better um, and that means that yeah we can sleep straight in our beds at night knowing that yeah we're, we're certainly helping community you know contribute to the communities in which we operate in so yeah thank you for that oh, excellent well have a Wonderful rest of your day. I'm starting mine. <laughs> I've got a class in uh, a couple hours, so I'm going to get ready for, uh, for my class I'm teaching. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for getting up so early for me. Um, and, um, yeah, as I said, yeah, half 11 at night would not be a great experience for you. But certainly not for me. So. Uh, cool. I thoroughly understand. I'm pushing 50 next year, so uh, when I was in my yeah. 40s, I was just... You know, I was getting to, well, 30s, I should say, I was getting to that irritable mark. And in, in my 40s, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm done. 10 o'clock. Eh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, I, I broke 50 last year and I'm, I'm exactly the same. Come come 5 o'clock in the morning, I'm up with the locks. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's me too. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, have a wonderful Ooh, rest of your day. Thanks, Thank Sheldon. you so much. And let's keep in okay. touch. <laughs> brilliant. Cheers, Sheldon. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Welcome back to the podcast. I'd like to thank everybody for listening to this one. And I uh, had a good time talking to Jez. It was really cool just kind of getting an idea behind what the behavior-based safety practical model is. Because we do hear a lot about BBS. We hear a lot about HOP. And if you went back to my interview with Sam Goodman, the HOP nerd, I told him I'm 60-40. <laughs> Like 60-40, yeah. I'm 60-40 hop and 60-40 BPS depending on the situation. Uh, and truly, that's that's been my mindset. That's the way I even taught uh, students, you know, 60-40. <laughs> and sometimes I, I don't even know if I'm that. Uh, but truly, I do enjoy hearing things like that where it's fun, it's practical, it's uh, some things that is completely thinking outside the box of what they're doing over there at Calgary Consulting and truly knowing that the workers are actually changing their behaviors in such a way that it's almost gamified and fun for them. And you heard how outrageous <laughs> some of those uh, things are that they're getting. And I don't mean outrageous in a bad way, just like, awesome, put me on that list. I wouldn't mind getting some of those things. It's pretty cool. 
So before we go into the tip of the week, uh, what I do want to let you guys know is uh, just if you have a chance to, whatever device you're listening to me on right now, go ahead and hit the subscribe button if you're not driving. I don't want you to get distracted when you're driving or else we're going to have to work on your behavior there. (laughs) But if you can, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and uh, just get that alert or that notice by hitting subscribe button because I am really thinking about branching out a little bit more. And I'm really thinking about making sure that there's more and more episodes coming on. And the way I'm going to do that is I am thinking of going twice a week with a mini. I'm kind of cheating because I'm copying a few other people's format. And I'll tell you straight up now, I am biting your style. Everybody that knows the mini and the two-episode format. Shout out to Jay Howland and Sam Goodman. <laughs> you, you guys are inspiring me. So let's call this an inspiration. Now I got to get my act together and actually do it. And I'm also going to move into uh, more video too. Uh, so they're, they're helping me get my act together in that as well. Uh, more Jay, Sam, I only get to see you every now and then or talk to you. I haven't met you yet, but talk to you. But Jay, yeah, I'm a, I'm a safety FMer, team player. I like this format. So I, I really am thinking about doing this more and more. So I'm putting that out there in the universe. I'm just putting that out there. So as far as the tip of the week, I want to stick to, uh, stick to the behavioral-based safety side. You guys don't hear me talking about BBS much in its, in its form, but I do teach a class regarding BBS for the Certified Occupational Safety Specialist class. That class actually has a BBS model. And uh, in that module that they have, you know, I, I really try to get my students to understand that it's not enough to do observations. It's not enough uh, if you're not doing it correctly and you're not rewarding safe behavior. So the tip of the week is going to be truly look for safe behaviors, reward that. Find out why people are doing these safe behaviors and then repeat that, reward that. Ask them, hey, you could have done something else. Why didn't you do that? And why did you do these safe behaviors? And uh, the thought process behind BBS being uh, behavioral science is there's always a trigger that gives you a thought. And then the thought is going to lead to a behavior. So you have the trigger leads to a thought. The thought's going to lead to a behavior. So if your program of observation isn't trying to get someone to verbalize what that trigger was, then you're actually going to be fighting really hard to to decide, well, what is this individual's trigger I like directly before the behavior? And then you're going to end up having to get the mitigation after that too, because it's still not enough for that. So you get the trigger, which leads to the thought, then the thought leads to the behavior that you're observing. So just kind of break that down in your in your BBS program. And then there's also a little thing that is uh, effectively the ABC model. There's an antecedent before the behavior, and then the behavior will lead to a consequence. So in some cases, the antecedent, I guess in all cases, the antecedent is directly before the behavior. And that just means what is leading up to the trigger 
that is going to get the thought of the worker that says, it's not okay for me to put on my seatbelt right now when I'm in this powered industrial truck or something similar to that. you got to figure out what that is. So that antecedent could easily be, I know we've got a safety program that says I must put on my seatbelt when I'm getting on this forklift, but I don't see anyone else in here that's wearing it. Why am I going to be the only one? So I'm not saying it's that blatant, but it's there's something that is previous to the action and then the behavior itself and then the C part of the ABC mindset would be the consequence. So if it's immediate consequence, if it's timely, immediate uh, and severe and also it means something to this individual. So there's positive and negative consequences. So someone could actually go ahead and not do what they're supposed to do, safety and health, best practice-wise, or even work rule-wise, or even OSHA regulation-wise, and they get away with it. So that's a consequence. It worked for them. They got away with it. So that behavior gets reinforced because it actually, the person got away. They, they felt like, hmm. Yeah, this doesn't matter. I didn't get hurt. And that's what breaks down into two, three, four years I've been doing this job and I've never had an incident or I've never had this thing happen to me. Uh, yeah, there wasn't a consequence to your, your, your dummy behavior. So in this case, that's really what it's saying. That person is saying, I've been lucky for four years and I've never had a consequence, so I don't think I'm going to have a consequence today. It never happened to me. And that's the case when you're thinking of that. So the two mindsets that we're thinking here is the ABC and then that ABC is antecedent, the behavior, the consequence. And then the other thought that you're thinking for your behavior-based safety is trigger thought behavior. Something triggered that thought. That thought got, you know, just massaged in that brain enough. And then they had the behavior. So sometimes it could be closer than others. Sometimes it's a little delayed, but trigger thought behavior and think about that. So incorporate all those stuff into your BBS program. And then also when you're doing your actual walkthrough, you got to think of what's behavioral mastery to us. Is it going to be eight safe behaviors out of 10? Is it going to be 10 out of 10 or whatever that percentage is? Because you have to keep the numbers, right? You need those numbers in order for this program to work. It's a lagging indicator. I understand that. Uh, but if we're going to do this BBS system uh, so it's advantageous for you, yes, take those lagging, lagging indicators and then make sure that you're going to use it for good. Don't reward on lagging indicators or else you're going to get under reporting and you get all kinds of stuff, get yourself in mess. But you want to use that as here's where we are. Here's our progressive incremental increases. And then here is behavioral mastery for us. And that's truly how you're working all that stuff out. All right. So if you need some extra help, then go ahead. You could get a hold of uh, Jez Grom. He's the groom. Excuse me, Jez. Uh, he is on uh, LinkedIn. So you just have to look up Jez Groom. You could talk uh, to any of the consultants there at Cowrie Consulting and uh, contact me. You know me. So you could also reach me at Sheldon at safetyconsultant.us. 
And again, I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. Just uh, like, subscribe. Go ahead and check out the website, safetyconsultingpodcast.com. And if you are into becoming a safety consultant and you want to take the new and improved safety consultant blueprint course, go to safetyconsultantblueprint.com. Say that again, nice and clean for the record. Safetyconsultantblueprint.com. And then you could take the course so that you too can find a path, the blueprint to becoming a safety consultant. All right. So that is it for this week. Go get them. This episode has been powered by Safety FM.